Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you after a couple of Sundays of vacation and uh, excited for our August sermon series, which is always about something kind of weird. We've done hot topics, we've done controversial issues, we've done the elephant in the room, we've um, done a lot of things in August that have kind of pushed the edge of the envelope. Last August, we had the church lady and we did agree to disagree and all that kind of stuff. And so um, this uh, August, uh, we're going to look at some scriptures that are twisted. Um, scriptures that people take and twist them to make them mean something that they don't. My son Levi asked me, he says, do they twist them on purpose? Um, I guess maybe I could account for some situations where a certain group of people may twist this intentionally because after all, you know, you've heard people say you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And, but the scriptures that we're talking about are not people intentionally taking it, but well-meaning people that um, have just looked at this scripture wrong and the outworking of this scripture uh, can have some really difficult ramifications uh, in their lives. And so we're going to launch from James uh, chapter 1, and uh, that will be our launching verse today. And each of the other Sundays in August, we'll take a look at another passage of Scripture. James chapter 1 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Plain, it's just, it's, you don't need a uh, seminary degree to, to understand that. It, the plain and simple says you should not doubt. You should believe when you ask. And the context will say when you ask God. When you ask God, you should believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is in trouble, the scripture basically says. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown away here and there, tossed back and forth. Okay? No one would like to be that way. Okay? That person should not expect to receive anything from God. So basically, I mean, I'm leaving out a little scripture here, but basically what the scripture says, if you doubt, you should not expect to receive anything from God. I mean, that's, even though I left out a, a, some words in between, that's what it says. When you doubt, you should not expect to receive anything from God. Such person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. Before we go any further, let's show you a video of some people who believe and don't doubt. This church in the heart of Appalachia is completely quiet just before the service begins, except for the creature inside this locked box. It's a rattlesnake, and it's rattling. It's one of seven deadly snakes about to be used in a wild ceremony in God's name. This is Pastor Andrew Hamblin. He's a 21-year-old serpent-handling pastor at the Tabernacle Church of God in La Follette, Tennessee. He, his wife, and the rest of this congregation practice Christianity much differently than almost all other Christians, using venomous snakes as part of their service. Why? They point to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 18. It's stated in part, they shall take up serpents. Believers like Pastor Hamblin say when God anoints them, they have an obligation to do this and that God will protect them. And even if they are bitten, their belief is God will heal them. No doctors necessary. If it looks dangerous, that's because it is. It's also illegal in the state of Tennessee. 
But that only strengthens the pastor's conviction. Snake handling in churches is a tradition in decline, but Hamblin wants that to change. It's against the law to have snakes in a church in Tennessee. Right. Does that concern you? No, sir, it don't. Now, if someone was to get bit and die, I know the authorities would come in on us and probably shut us down. But that's why I stress so much to my people to, you know, make sure. But now if it's their appointed time to die, there's nothing I can do to prevent it. This is not a con game. These snakes are poisonous. They can't kill. And they do kill. The guy said there, these snakes are poisonous. It's not a show. These snakes are poisonous. They uh, can kill and they do kill. Um, James and Melinda Brown were two snake handlers uh, involved in a church like that. You find churches like that in uh, uh, the hills of Kentucky, hills of West Virginia. I wouldn't be shocked in southeastern Ohio and other areas. Can you still find some snake handling churches? But James and Melinda Brown were part of a snake handling church. They both were bit, not on the same day. They both were bit, and they both died, uh, leaving Jonathan, Jeremiah, Jacob, Daniel, and Sarah as orphan children. Faith can be deadly. Twisted scripture can be deadly. Those people believed. I believe to my dying day. Those people believed. They had faith. They had faith. Amanda Bates was a little 13-year-old girl involved in a church in, in Grand Junction, Colorado. She was a diabetic who her parents refused to treat that diabetes, and she died. She died. Um, Zachary Swinsey was 17 years old and had a ruptured appendix. Now, that can be a serious issue, but if you get to the hospital, they'll take care of that. Well, God will heal. God will take care of it. We just need to anoint and pray. And... Uh, Zachary Swinsey died in the prime of his life. The next little boy's picture that you're going to see is a four-year-old. His name is Troy. Troy ran a fever for a week, 104, 105, almost 106. Um, parents prayed over him, did not believe in seeking medical attention, and Troy died. Now, we could go on and on. I, uh, there's, a, there's a website called whatsthehorm.net. It's actually an anti-Christian website, but it has case after case of, case of things like that. The harm that religion has caused down through the centuries. And religion, let's just be honest, religion has caused a lot of harm. Twisted scripture very zealous, faith-filled people have called lots, caused lots of harm. Uh, we have a, uh, uh, a date that will ever be etched into the history of the United States of America because of the faith of some people 
who flew airplanes into buildings. 9-11 was a faith-filled day. (laughs) And so we have to admit, if we're thinking Christians, that faith can be uh, deadly. But faith is held up in Scripture as... um, a really good thing and if faith is virtuous you would have to think that doubt could be evil I mean that's kind of makes sense right especially in the scripture that I read from James that if you doubt you're not going to get anything from God so if faith is virtuous then doubt has to be evil or if faith is saving which it is we're saved by grace through faith it's only through faith that we please God uh, Hebrews eleven six. so if faith is saving then doubt could be damning And there's a whole lot of people that will take a verse like James 1 that I read to you and other verses and twist them to mean something they aren't and think that faith and certainty are what we're looking for and any doubt is, has to be totally shunned in the Christian life and any little speck of doubt that could ever come into your brain is something that has to be rebuked immediately and we get some weirdness because of that, and, and, but when we all admit things about the Christian life, we have to admit that we have some questions, don't we? And we don't like to admit that because I, I try to impress you into how much of a Christian I am, and you try to impress me. So we don't ever talk about our doubt too much because that would make us look less than a Christian, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a better Christian than you. <laughs> What my goal is today is not to try to get you to doubt. My goal is today is for you to be, to grasp your humanity. Faith presupposes doubt. You can't have faith without doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. What's the opposite of faith, friend? Certainty. Certainty is the opposite of faith. If you have some doubts in your life about some things in the Christian life or some things in the Bible, and I, man, that just really makes me scratch my head, so forth and so on, I don't think yourself less than Christian. Don't think you're the only one that ever think like that because any of us that have a brain and our brain works and our brain thinks, we have to look at some things in the Bible and say, wow, wow. And so don't let anyone criticize you because there may be something in Scripture that you don't really understand. Can that really be true? That you're not totally 100% certain of everything. Don't let anybody put you down. You're a human being. And as long as we're on this earth, there will be some doubt involved in our faith because it's faith, friends. And the opposite of faith is certainty. We live by faith and not by sight. How can you be certain of anything that you don't see? I'm certain that my hand is in front of me and my fingers are wiggling and my thumb is wiggling. I see that. I can be certain of that. But the Bible says we live by faith and not by sight. My goal today is to allow you to embrace your humanity. My goal today is to, for, me, for you to give yourself a break. And when you're a thinking person, then there may be a doubt 
coming into your mind in this area and a doubt that comes into your mind in that area, that just means you're thinking. That just means you have a brain. That just means you're exercising doubt because if you don't need to exercise faith, excuse me, you're exercising faith. If you don't need to exercise faith, then you're certain. And the Bible says we have to exercise faith because it's the only thing that pleases God. And it's by grace we are saved. Mike Hancock does a little thing at, 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 at burials. And, and uh, you know, I've done several burials with him, and he takes up uh, some flowers off of the spray that's on the casket, and he'll quote a passage, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, of faith, hope, and love. And he talks about one flower, the faith flower, and the hope flower, and the love flower. And he talks about the person that's died. And for instance, this the funeral that we had on, on Wednesday. He says, Rita, uh, Rita Anderson Riccardi died, and, and, and Rita, he, he says, Rita talked about Rita's faith, uh, the, the faith that she had as a Christian. And he says, you know, we can leave this faith flower right here because Rita doesn't need faith anymore. She's certain now because she's living by sight now. And all of us on this earth until our day comes and we stand before God, we have to live by faith because we can't be totally 100% certain or it wouldn't be faith. And it's faith that pleases God. The Bible says also in Hebrews chapter 11 or 12, I can't remember, that the only way we're ever going to be able to believe that God created this world is by faith. We have to take it by faith. How are you going to believe that, that a, a God breathed this world into existence if you don't take that by faith? You can't get your mind wrapped around that. How can you get your mind wrapped around that? You can believe it. You can have enough faith to commit yourself to it. But how can you be certain of that? I had a guy come up to me after the, after the service, after I preached this sermon so hard and all that. He goes, I've never had any doubts in my life. What? How can I be totally certain that the Red Sea was parted? I believe it. I have faith that this book is the inspired word of God and that it's in true, but I didn't see that. How can I honestly say that I'm 100% certain? Unless I'm trying to, I don't know, do a Wizard of Oz type of thing. This, the first service really understood this illustration. A lot of you are younger and won't understand this illustration, but you had the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. And there was some little part in the Wizard of Oz that cowardly lion goes, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do believe, I do believe. Unless you do some kind of psychological game with your brain. I do believe, 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 I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. If you have to be certain, how certain do you have to be? On the certainty scale, do I just have to get like 50.1% certain, you know? Used to go to the county fair and they had this big thing. You take this big mallet, that's not the right word, whatever it was, and you'd hit this thing and if you're strong enough, it'd go up and hit the bell. You remember that kind of stuff? And it, that's kind of like it is with, with certainty, I guess. If I, if I hit it and I get just a little above 50%, then I'm a Christian because I'm at least half certain. And if I hit it a little better, then I get up into 70%. And, and then maybe I get some of my prayers answered. And then, and then if I get 100%, then I, wow, I can pray for peace in the Middle East and peace in your marriage. Well, maybe not peace in your marriage, but peace in the Middle East. And, <laughs> how certain do you have to be? 
And have you read some of this stuff? It's weird. God came to this earth as a little baby. Could you get any more weirder than that? Any more hard to believe than that? Any more faith statement than that? Some people think that that certainty is a virtue, but listen, I, I don't mean this bad, but people who are certain about things that are kind of faith statements, they're either kind of loony or they're really simple-minded. Because the more you look into things and the more you get educated, you see pros and cons, left and right, black and white. And God gave us this brain. He gave us our ability to to rationalize and think through things. And how could he suddenly put me down for using this thing he gave me called a brain? I'm um, I'm, I'm here to, to tell you today that with your faith comes a healthy dose. If you're honest and you're not trying to impress the preacher or the person beside you in your Sunday school class, if you're honest and if you truly think it through things, with your faith will come some doubt. And don't get freaked out about it. Don't think you've got to come to the altar every time. You may want to pray about that. You may want to ask me or your small group or your Sunday school class to pray. That's fine, but you're a thinking person. You have a brain, and God wants you to use it. Come, let us reason together. The only way that you're changed in this life, the Bible said, is by the renewing of your mind. God changes the way you think as you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's not horrible. So what does James 1 mean? Man, because there was. Doubt's got to be horrible, right? Because if you doubt, you're not going to get anything from God. It's what it said. I mean, just, there it is. How are you going to get out of that, Mr. Wiggle? I mean, just how's that going to work? I, I just don't see anywhere in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the portrait of God. Jesus is the embodiment of God. I, I, don't, I don't see how. Anywhere in Scripture that we have Jesus, one that puts down doubt, he doesn't rebuke his disciples and kick them out of the disciple club because of that. In fact, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a... That wouldn't go very high on that scale there at the county fair, would it? Jesus says, if you have faith even the size of something as tiny as a mustard seed, things will happen for you in prayer. So I would think, I I think this is right, a mustard-sized faith would have a healthy dose of doubt with it. I mean, that kind of makes sense. But Jesus says, "That's, that's what you got. I'll take it. If, if, if that's what you have, I'll take it. John the Baptist was in prison. 
I think, did, didn't Jesus say something like, there's never been another man who walked the face of this earth like John the Baptist? He was in prison in Matthew chapter 11. And, 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 and he had a case of doubts. There's just no way that you can read this passage and not think that there was some kind of doubts. Check it out. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Jesus, to ask Jesus, are you the one who's to come or maybe I ought to wait for somebody else? Now, if that's not a doubt-filled statement, I don't know what is. Are you the one? After all, I'm in prison, and if you're really the one, I mean, you should just come and get me out of prison just like that because only good things happen to God's people, right? I mean. Now, what does Jesus do? Jesus said, how dare him? I'm offended. You are out of the disciple club. You, you, you are out of here. How dare you doubt? Is that what Jesus says? Jesus replied, go to the people that came and asked him. He said, go back to prison and tell John this. And he gives him a bunch of evidence of his messiahship. A bunch of evidence that he was who he said he was. Go back and, and tell them the blind, they're seeing. The lame are walking. People who are leprosy are cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He didn't. How dare you, John the Baptist? I don't want anything to do with you. No, he just told, told his friends, said, just go tell him the evidence. It'll bolster his faith. Peter was, was heard somebody out there in the, in the water, and, and he said, if it is really you, call me, Jesus, and I'll come out to you. That doesn't sound like a very faithful statement. If it's really you. And so Jesus calls him, and Peter, you've got to give Peter all the credit in the world. Everybody talks about Peter doubting, but you've got to give all the credit to Peter in the world because he stepped out there. And evidently for a few steps, he walked on water until he saw the waves. And he said, Lord, help me, I'm drowning. And, and he picked, Jesus picked him up and saved him. And he said to him, why do you doubt? But he didn't kick Peter out of the disciple club. He used Peter mightily after that. He didn't rebuke Peter and say, hey, you get to the end of the line. You're one of those disciples we don't remember the names of anymore. He didn't say anything like that. No, Peter's at the very top of the list in the book of Acts. He preaches the first message at Pentecost. Jesus didn't deal with doubts in such a way that would make you interpret James chapter 1 the way some people interpret James chapter 1. Because if James chapter 1 means what it says it means on face value, Jesus would have had to got really upset with this doubt that he was faced with. There's a weird story in John chapter 9. There's a blind guy, and Jesus grabs some mud and puts it on his eyes and prays for the guy. And he says, okay, open your eyes. The guy opens his eyes, and Jesus says, what do you see? He says, well, he says, I see people, but they look like trees. That's probably because he had mud in his eyes, by the way. I, I mean, and so what did Jesus say to him? Did Jesus say, well, you just need to believe you're healed. You're doubting. You just need to take it and believe. No, he just said, well, let's just pray again. That's and he was healed the second time. <laughs> I don't know what that means. 
But I do know Jesus didn't get on the guy because after the first time, he, he wasn't really healed yet. And he, Jesus didn't say, man, you just got to believe it. You just got to take it. Accept your healing right now. You're healed. Jesus didn't say that. There's a story in Mark chapter 9. A father's got a son that's demon-possessed. He brings the son to Jesus. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father says. It, it, it the, the demon, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do, that's a faith-filled statement, isn't it? You know, if you can do anything, I'm not sure you can. People saying you're doing some stuff over here. I didn't think I'd had anything to lose. The only thing you can say is no. You know, I'd say, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. What a faith-filled statement that is. Next slide. Jesus says, if I can. So Jesus caught that. Jesus says, if, are you saying if you can? Everything's possible for those who believe. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. But there's parts in me that don't believe. I do believe. But I've got to be honest, there's some doubt in there too. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Again, not a big faith-filled statement. And we see the end of the story here. Jesus just goes ahead, if you read that, goes ahead and, and, and cleanses the demon out of the kid. On, on some little mustard seed type of faith, doubt-filled faith, like, I do believe, but this part's of me that don't. I do believe, but help my unbelief. So as we look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus dealt with doubts, we don't see Jesus getting all bent out of shape about him. So as I try to interpret James chapter 1, where it says, believe and don't doubt, or you're not going to get anything from God, I have to look at it through the lens that Jesus didn't seem to get that fired up about it. So if certainty is this big, huge thing you're supposed to have, and we're supposed to be certain. <clears throat> Jesus didn't get fired up on people that weren't. Let me tell you, the, the big problem about some of this in the church of Jesus Christ is that this kind of faith that we're talking about, on this great faith, if you have faith, and like I, heard, I had a pastor tell me one time when I was a, a young pastor, he, t he was pastoring a church in there, he, he wore glasses, and he says, you know, if just, you know, I don't have faith enough yet to believe that God can uh, cure my nearsightedness, and when I have that faith, then I won't have to wear these glasses anymore. I worry that it's faith in faith, not faith in God. Are you with me on that? It's faith in faith. It's faith in how much faith I have. And that's about me. Because I have more faith than you. And if you just had as much faith in me, you'd be slim and trim and muscular like I am. 
because it's, it's faith in faith and not faith in God who can do what he wants to with my request. Some people in Christianity have to be right. They just have to be right. It's like their faith is in being right. And it's almost like being right is an idol to them. And an idol is anything that plays the role of God in, in your life. And it's, an idol is your source of life. And for Christians, our source of life should be in Christ, in Christ crucified. And, but some people, it seems like their source of life is in their, their right about this. And, and that's why if you give them a different opinion or a different interpretation of Scripture, they'll go nuts. You can't push back on those people at all. I've had him in my office because their source of life may be in their rightness. And if I push back on their rightness, I'm obviously pushing back on their source of life. Faith presupposes doubt. Faith comes along with a certain measure of doubt. I've heard people, you know, sometimes somebody's sick, and this is not wrong. Hear, hear me, church. Hear me. Hear your heart of your pastor here. What I'm saying is not wrong for somebody to do, but use the brain God gave you. You know, some people sometimes are sick, and it's like it's their goal. they got to get somebody in every state on Facebook to pray for them. And if they get somebody praying for them in every state, then maybe God will listen. <laughs> or maybe they need to get 1,000 people, and that's better than 50 people. Now, I'm not putting anyone down other than saying, does that make sense? So God is going to hear your prayer because 1,000 people are praying instead of 950? What is your faith in, friends? Is your faith in prayer or is your I hear that so is your faith in prayer or is your faith in God? Prayer can be a good luck charm, friends. It can be used as your good luck charm. And if it is, it's idolatrous. My faith is not in prayer. My faith is in the God who hears that prayer and will choose what he wants to do with that. I remember one time I was going to speak. I told you this, I think. I was going to speak in Cleveland, Ohio at a vocational school. And I was, <laughs> there's a bunch of people that teach little, you know, that teach guys how to be mechanics and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not, not a tremendously, guys with, with grease underneath their fingernails, okay? They're great, great guys, but they're not tremendously sophisticated. And don't want to sit around and listen to me for three hours, teach them, no, excuse me, for six hours, teach them how to communicate better. <laughs> so I, I was sitting out there in the parking lot, and I said, Lord, this, this is not going to go good. I mean, they're being made to sit through and listen to me talk to them. God, would you just help me and would you grace me? And it's like God just smacked me over the head with a two before. Because I've been praying for that for a week. And, and God just, it's like God said, Mark, I heard you the first time you prayed. Get your butt in there and do it. 
You're just scared, Mark. Would you simply have faith that I heard you? And just because you're praying for the 17th time and getting some little good luck prayer right before you walk in doesn't mean that it's going to help any more than that first time you prayed a week ago. Faith in prayer instead of faith in the God who hears you the first time you pray. So what does this James 1 passage mean? Well, all all Scripture that gets twisted almost always is Scripture that's taken out of context. And please listen to me. A sentence is part of a paragraph, and a paragraph is part of a chapter, and a chapter is part of a book, and one book is part of the Bible. You don't wrench one little verse out and hold it up here and say this is what it means if it totally stands opposite of what the rest of the paragraph, chapter, book, or Bible teaches. Context, context, context. So this sentence or these few sentences is part of a paragraph. Well, what does the paragraph that where James 1, what does it say? Well, just look at the verse right before it. James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. And then, then our verse starts in verse 6 is, and when you ask, you should believe and not doubt. This is a verse about wisdom. This is a verse about God giving you wisdom. This is not a verse about healing. This is not a verse about God getting you the job or getting you a certain salary or getting you a Mercedes Benz or whatever it may be. It's about wisdom. When you lack wisdom, you should ask God who will give the wisdom without finding fault. Then verse 6 shows up and says, and when you ask, believe and don't doubt. Now, doubt can mean, here comes Mr. Wiggle, okay? But seriously, no. Doubt can mean doubt. We, we, we're, we're questioning. But in the original language, doubt can also mean that I'm discriminating and I'm trying to judge between two things. And if both of those things are a good Greek translation of the word doubt, you've got to look at them both. And in this passage of Scripture, the same exact word that's translated doubt gets translated another way down in James chapter 2. And, and so you've got to deal with the sentence, the paragraph, the chapter, the book. And in James chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. My brothers and sisters, uh, sisters believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must, listen now, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man comes in and he's dressed poorly. Next passage. If you show special attention to the rich man and you, and you don't show any attention at all to the poor guy, that's not good. Have thir- uh, Fourth from the bottom. Have you not? It's the same word as doubt in the previous passage. Same exact Greek word. Have you not chosen one better than the other? So in our James 1 passage, it really fits really well 
to be able to say, if, if when you ask, believe and don't doubt that God can give this to you. Man, I prayed for a lot of people. I prayed for a lot of people, and I wasn't certain that they were going to be healed, but there wasn't a doubt in my mind God could do it if he wanted to. And in the, in the context of this passage, it's wisdom. Are you going to believe that God gives you the wisdom, or are you going to listen to your secular earthly wisdom? And that gets backed up by the New Living Translation. When they came out with the New Living Translation, look what the New Living Translation did with this verse that we're dealing with today, James chapter 1. But when you ask, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person who's with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown. When you ask, you need to be sure that your faith is in God. Your faith that God can do this, relying on God's wisdom and not earthly wisdom. And then you go down to James chapter 3, same book. We're trying to take it in context, friends. You go down the same book of the Bible, James chapter 3, and James, James bends over backwards trying to tell you, you need God's wisdom, not earthly wisdom. So could this what he's meaning here? Because in James chapter 3, he says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. But where you have envy and selfish ambition, there should be disorder and every evil practice, but the wisdom that comes from heaven. Earthly wisdom, but the wisdom that comes from heaven. So when you take a verse in context and know that that sentence is part of a paragraph and that paragraph is part of a, a chapter and that chapter is part of a book, James is concerned with you taking godly wisdom, earthly wisdom, uh, heavenly wisdom, and not earthly wisdom. And that's probably what it means, friends. But it took a little work. You can't just sit back and say, well, that's what Pastor Mark said. That's what that evangelist told me. That's what my third grade Sunday school teacher told me, man. He gave you this. It's powerful. There is no computer that can do what your brain can do. Use it. Use it. I haven't tried this morning to make you doubt. I've tried to give yourself permission to be human. Boy, I just want us, I want us to be real people and I want us to be thinking people. I want us to be real and honest and look at your small group, your Sunday school neighbor and say, you know, man, that's hard to believe and not worry about that person saying, oh, are you saved? You didn't go, you should have gone to the altar this morning. I, I, I'm not trying to make you doubt. I'm trying to say that faith, biblical faith, presupposes some questions, if you're honest. Or you can be like the person in the first service says, I've never had a doubt in my life. And there's some churches that will love you for that. But they aren't honest people. They aren't real people. They're dealing with real issues. You know what? You'll never affect an unbelieving world if you say you'll never doubt. You'll never affect an unbelieving world because they have doubts all the time. 
and they want you to at least try to meet them at least a little bit where they are. And the more honest you can be about some failings or shortcomings or doubt in your life, the better off you'll seem like a real person to the unbelieving world and the better chance that they'll open their heart to what you have to say about Jesus. Just be real. Faith and doubt are not opposites. Faith and certainty are opposites. Biblical faith is not something between your ears. I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. It's not something between your ears. All the time in Scripture, biblical faith is something that you believe that works out in your life. Biblical faith is not certainty. It's enough faith to commit yourself to a course of action. In the Christian life, it's a way of life, friends. It's a course of action. It's not, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe. I got to memorize the Ten Commandments, and I got to memorize Apostles' Creed, and I got to memorize, I got to get it all in here. I got to read three chapters a day, and I got to pray every day, and all that's well and good. But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is belief that works out in a course of action in your life. Hebrews, the Hall of Fame of Faith, when it lists all of the heroes of the faith, it doesn't say, Abraham believed. It doesn't say Moses believed. It doesn't say Gideon believed. You know what it says? It says Abraham believed, and then it tells you what that faith did in his life. Moses believed, and it tells you what that faith did in his life. Gideon believed, and he was able to go to war not with 30,000, but 300. A biblical faith is, is, is a commitment to a way of life. It's not just Get it, get it right, get it right. I, I'm not 100% certain that when I step down on this step, it's going to hold me up. It would be stupid for me to say that. Now, I have faith that it will. But I'm not 100% certain. Somebody, Jeff Blackley could have come along and sold a, a, sawed a hole in this thing since the last time I stepped down on it. I'm not 100% certain, but I am 100, I'm certain enough to exercise faith. I am certain enough to exercise faith. I'm not 100% certain that I can sit down on this thing right here and it's going to hold me up. Well, I am now that I hit it, okay? Once I hit it, I'm no longer living by faith. But if I didn't touch it, I'm going to say, well, I've got to, I'm not certain, but I've got enough faith to commit to it. I've had people tell me, well, I just don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if I can believe that. What can you believe? Do you know, do you know how much little you have to believe to be a Christian? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Jonah and all that kind of stuff. What has that got to do with Jesus and Jesus crucified? I'm not sure about that. What does that have to do with God? So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, there are things in this Bible that I decided a long time ago that are downright weird. But I decided to focus on the center and do exactly what Paul tells me to do in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. 
and resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the nugget. That's the core. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else is peripheral. I want to get the core right. And a core right is a faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And watch what that faith can do in my and your life. Some, some of you are uncomfortable with this message because you've been raised with certainty. And you, but you try to impress people with how faithful and how, how, how much strong faith you have. I'm just an average Joe. And I, I have doubts. But I'm certain enough to stake my life on this. But I can't tell you I'm 100% certain because I'm honest. Do you have enough faith to stake your life on Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Have you done that? You may not be too sure about Moses parting the Red Sea, or you may not be too sure about creation, evolution. You may not be too sure about some of the stuff in the Bible. Do you have enough faith to commit to Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Have you done that? R really done that? I mean, like really done that? Admit your doubts. Do you have enough faith to commit? You can do that today if you never have before. Admits your doubts. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, this is one of these tough August messages that can really uh, get some people bent out of shape. And I'm just trying to be honest. I'm trying to model of Christianity, Father, for these people that is real and honest and transparent and is human. I'm not trying to impress these people with how spiritual I am. And I pray that they wouldn't allow anyone to take their faith away from them just because there's some doubt here or doubt there. I pray that they wouldn't let the enemy come in and, and make them somehow question their salvation just because they have a question here and a question there. Well, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that with faith comes a little doubt. And nowhere in Scripture are we told to be certain because that would be the absolute opposite of faith. Help us walk by faith, even though we don't walk by sight. In Jesus' name, amen.